Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And in Studio One, and it's so nice to be back in the studio rather than just doing these interviews, online we have the writer, Pamela Crow. Hello, Pamela. Hello, Peter. Uh, so we read together recently uh, in Meanwood at the Terminus as part of the Meanwood Festival, which we was did. a really nice occasion, wasn't it? It was lovely, yes. That was the first time we met, I think. I think it was, and Joe Williams organised it. And this is the first time you've been... To the chapel. It is. So what yeah. are your uh, impressions? Um, it seems an incredible place and a really welcoming place um, and really dynamic and exciting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back again very soon, I think, I hope. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I mean, that's it's a, that's one of the good things about having people here because we can show people around. And, it was, and you came in. Of course, we'd laid it all on for you. There was some, you know rehearsal happening upstairs. Yeah, and, yeah it's all <laughs> highly uh, <clears throat> prepared. No, it was just, it's just a, a busy day here in the chapel, and we've agreed we already need a, a bigger chapel because there's so much happening. But so, so Pamela, you you're a writer, and you're going to read some stuff for us today, and talk about a new book which you've got in the uh, in the offing or coming up soon. But also, you're not just a, uh, a writer. So, if if you're, yeah, if if you're at a sort of some sort of social occasion where you don't know people and they maybe don't work in the arts and all that, and somebody says, "So, what do you do? What do you say?" Mm, that's a great question. Uh, well, as as I'm a writer and an artist, that's what I say. And I think one of the things that we often get advised to be good at is um, explaining that to people. Um, so I would, yeah, I'd say I'm a writer and an artist, and um, that actually um, they're not separate things for me. They're very uh, blended. That my uh, writing, although I, you know, write poetry and I participate in the poetry world, for me it sits absolutely within my art practice. That's kind of the umbrella, really. And um, I definitely describe my. My, my text works or my poetry as, as a script, really, a script from which I kind of then make um, the, other, the other pieces of work. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a very, very obvious question, but did any either of, the, either of those come first? Yeah, uh, the writing, definitely. Um, I, uh, well, like many people, always loved reading, you know, grew up um, kind of oddly in a, in a house with not too many books, but was drawn to libraries, you know, and I remember my mum always took us to the local library in Heatmore, um, and I loved those trips, and I loved all the kind of admin of the library as well. And then my dad had done an open university degree um, in his 40s, and I was uh, he was in his 40s when I was born. Um, so we, we had some kind of penguin classics at home, which had some pencil notes in the margins. And But I think if you love books as objects, you just love books as objects, don't you? So... Uh, by the time I was 14, I'd written and typed up three <laughs> three collections of poetry um, and I was very certain that I was going to be a writer. Uh, I didn't know how on earth to do that, but I was also really interested in drama. And that's, and that's the other really important kind of layer, I suppose, within my practice is that performance is a really key part of that. Um, you know, how you, how, you, how you speak the words, how you share the words that you write. 
is really, really matters to me. Mm. So I, I kind of went, I wrote loads of poetry, came to university, came to Leeds, study English Lit and Theatre Studies, which was a really interesting course because it was single honours, so it was not kind of two departments, it was blended. And um, I suppose kind of got a bit dazzled by the idea of performance more than writing. And... Um, as, as in theatre or, or mm. just in terms of, of, of reading, performing your poetry? In terms of theatre, yeah. And um, But then I did that thing where I wasn't really sure uh, after having done a degree in theatre and it was very practice-led, so it was very kind of theoretical-based. I um, thought, well, I want to work in theatre, but I didn't really have the courage or the confidence to um, to be a performer, you know, not once I'd graduated. So I uh, worked for many years um, in general manager roles and uh, I've done a bit of marketing and worked in fundraising um, in in the arts, in theatre and in dance and um, loved that. But, you know, by the time I'm kind of in my 20s thinking, actually looking across at people that I'd studied with or friends I had, peers I had, and seeing them assert themselves as the writer or the artist or the performer and think, what do they have within them that enables them, you know, to occupy that space? And what happens to the rest of us that kind of end up in these roles which facilitate that but maybe don't don't take the spotlight? So, um, yeah, so what, so what, you know, you obviously have a very confident artistic voice now i mean you know what what, is there anything that really uh made you take that plunge and and sort of gave you that confidence um yes there there or anyone um no not anyone not anyone um i i had um i had a an experience with a quite severe illness about 10 years ago and um fortunately it was something that i recovered from really well it was called uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. So I was um, paralysed for a while. Uh, it was a neurological condition. And I um, made a good physical recovery from that, but emotionally not so, I would say. So, th- you know, it kind of everything looked fine and I was back to normal, but internally I think it had really shaken me. And so I ended up um, having psychiatry at the... Uh, liaison psychiatry department at LGI and I had a I had a therapy called EMDR which stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing and um you know whilst that was that therapy was very much targeted to help me come to terms really with this really traumatic illness that you know I, I would say kind of felt like it um taken two years two years out of my life and at a point when I had a very young family so the impact was huge and and I came out of that therapy, um, not only enormously grateful for having had it, but but actually feeling that um, it had done this really profound, extraordinary thing, and it had removed, you know, that question I said about when you look sideways and think, well, these guys can do it. What what's stopping me? And it removed that. It removed whatever that was. That I guess a sense of fear or a kind of concern that um, it was something that other people were allowed to be, to do. But for some reason, I I was not permitted, and that went that went, wow. um, and I I began to write again, and more importantly, I uh, began to share what I was doing. 
And did you share those those things you were writing at around you know open mics or where, where did we or online? How did you share those things? Um, I started sharing them by I sent them off to a publisher actually a, a pamphlet publisher um, uh, Helena Nelson at Happenstance, and and that was the first time, and she very kindly you know sent me some feedback and it was really supportive, and. Really, <laughs> after that, because I had this sense that that the writing was good or good enough, you know, and and to have her um, reassurance about that, I just thought, right, well, I'm going to do this in earnest now. And I was also at the same time um, exhibiting some of my poetry kind of locally around Leeds within kind of art exhibitions, you know, because for me, I, I in the same way that the words could be spoken they could also be exhibited, you know, in, in a space on a wall. I don't see why they had to be um, waiting for um, a, a book. And that, again, is like a really critical part of my practice, which is that, you know, as artists, as creative people or um, as anyone that, who wants to share what they're doing, I'm really interested in the ways that we can um, really easily find a way to do that, you know, without kind of having to ask, for want of a better word, the gatekeepers, the people that kind of you know, offer publishing contracts or um, run kind of major art spaces without waiting for those people to notice or, or pick us, you know? That's a really important point, isn't it? And I think it's very much about what we do here. Absolutely, giving yeah. giving people permission to, to consider themselves as writers or, or broadcasters or technical people, you know, making radio, making work and putting it out there. Yeah, yeah I think... For me, that is the most important part of of uh, the work that any of us do that work in or near to the arts mm. is um, about, I guess, a kind of an open source mentality, which is that, you know, we're just we're all kind of sharing the space. Absolutely. But I met Helena Nelson recently, actually. Of oh, Happenstance. she's great, isn't she? Yeah. She's great. Uh, I've never met her, but only she sent me lots of lovely books. She publishes a poet friend of mine, Meg Peacock. Ah, I have, yeah. I have one of yeah. Meg Peacock's books, yeah. Well, her latest one she's brought out at the age of 90, so this wow. is, is really, really good, published by Happenstance, but I'm going to do a special Love the Words about Meg uh, oh, later on in the, uh, in the year. But could you, maybe you could uh, read us something, Pamela? Absolutely, yeah, very happily. Um, this is um, a poem that I sent her. Uh, Nell, <laughs> Helen and Nelson at uh, Happenstance and um, one of the first ones I sent off and that she um, was really supportive of. So it's called 150 Words As I Wait for a Tree to Grow Back, Part 1. And it has a subtitle which is Or Anger. Man at the back has cut down his tree and now we are in a terrible romance where each morning our eyes catch across the fence before quickly turning away to focus on our tasks. Man at the back is not tall enough for me and fortunately married to his clever musician wife. Well done, man, and probably would not want me with three kids and an anger problem. Man at the back may just be stupid enough, however, to like the idea of me, who probably looks quite dazzling and blurred from over there, as anger doesn't travel well through windows and the kids are out of view. Man at the back comes round to talk about the fence, which has blown over many times recently since cutting down the tree, and which he can't fix, him not being handy. Man is stupid and looks intently at me.
Great. Thank you very much. And that's part of a series, isn't it? Um, tell us about that. It is, yes. Um, so I, I, in my house where I live, I overlook quite a few different gardens and I work from home. And I often work from my bedroom. So I have kind of a view of the neighbours out the back. And I think it's, um, I think there's a cheekiness to writing. I don't know about you, Peter, but I kind of feel like it, it writing is, a, is, is almost a safe space to kind of say things that you're not going to have, you know, conversations you're not maybe going to have in real life. And it is a, you know, it's a fun space of imagining things. And I, um, uh, but I got angry one day because some trees which had, really given me a great degree of privacy um, uh, into my bedroom were, were cut down by the neighbour and I suddenly had this direct line into what was clearly his home office and I spent about a week feeling really angry about it and then and then kind of wrote this poem you know to kind of um, reflect the fact that we were kind of I, we, we kept looking at each other and then and then it became this um, poor man. It became this fantasy, really, that I played out in my head. Uh, he did actually come around to talk about the tree, but I um, there's a little bit well, of before it was cut down. After, no, after uh, it got cut down, he came around to talk about the fence, and we needed to sort out the fence. And uh, then, and then, yeah. And then after that, the more neighbours got involved, and uh, I'm now on number four. There's, it's a series of four poems, um, which I use actually to. Uh, kind of provide, um, kind of a, to kind of chapter my my forthcoming poetry collection, which we will talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> nicely trailed there. Nicely yeah. trailed. Yeah, um, I'm I'm interested in what you say about your writing and your 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 arts practice being mm. you know inseparable. And I you know yes. as somebody I work across forms, and I think it's much more accepted these days I mean I think there was a time when people kind of judged you down for doing several things but yeah tell us about that and your art and how that does relate with your writing Mm. yeah it's interesting isn't it I think um, we are as humans naturally territorial and I think that can happen um, you know when within universities and within any kind of educational setting and I think I think you know uh I have my eldest child is um, partway through GCSEs and thinking about A-levels and degree and I can see that they're kind of contemplating actually the loss of certain subjects which they would would you know like to keep studying but the system kind of kind of pushes us um, towards reducing really kind of knowledge or the way in which we interact with it and I think um I think that happens within within creativity as well, that it's almost like, well, you're a writer, so you can't do this too, or that your skills might end at, at one thing. And for me, it's all about curiosity. It's not about saying I'm really good at 10 different things. It's just saying I'm really interested in all those things, you know? And again, when it comes to permission, that that's that's personal, isn't it? Um, but I, in terms of my art practice... The, the need to create a work in maybe several different versions or layers feels um, that's a, that's a, com- a kind of compulsion, really. That's, um, I mean that in the way in, in, in which, um, not a compulsion in a negative sense, but a, a drive. So yeah. I'll write something and then I'm really so aware, and John Berger talks about this in, um, he has a great book called Confabulations, which is about language rather than ways of seeing. He talks about the act of writing as, um, you know, the moment when you're putting down 
um, almost a pre-verbal a pre-verbal sense and understanding of the world into this this uh, structure that we've created for, as, as humans, which is language and 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 words. And um, he he talks about how you know the act of translating uh, a text into a different language really again highlights that we have to take back those words in, into that kind of pre-verbal place because it's about cognition and understanding. And so when I've written a poem. I feel like all I've really done is put it into a language that I've translated it essentially, um, and it's just the one. It's one way of doing that. But then I often strongly feel that it there's an image that needs creating that must uh, sit alongside it, um, and then the putting it back to voice is a really important stage in that as well. Um, and then and then that could be a video work or it could be an audio work where the voice is realised. Or doing something, I guess, a bit more kind of visually poetically with with video and and creating something which may be nonverbal, but is again a, a recreation of of the feelings or the the preverbal kind of consciousness that I had that, mm. that that made me write something down. And and do you share do you share your arts work? I mean, is that is that exhibited, or where, where, does, where would we find that? Increasingly so, fortunately. Um, I've had some um, stuff at Leeds City Museum, actually. I think that's still up there in oh, the community right. corridor. Okay. And that's with um, a collective I'm part of with uh, uh, three other artists. So that's that's up at the moment. Um, I've had some work in the Leeds Summer Group show, which is that's been really nice um, because that's one of these layered pieces that I talk about. Mm. It's a work called um, Auto Door. Uh, it's set in Leeds, so it's it's kind of really resonates still for me because I... It's, just, it's written kind of set in 1993 when I first came here, but it's it's still an area. You know, I still live very close to where that work is situated. Um, and that's a, that's a voice work and a photograph and a poem. And that's, yeah, online. And I have a website, PamelaCrow.com, where a lot of my work is. Fantastic. Well, read us, read us another poem, if you would, and then mm. we'll have a piece of music. So this is called Auto Door One, and this is the text, the text work in that series. Auto Door. Two men spat at me in the Royal Park, and the landlord wouldn't throw them out, and looked so forlorn that I looked back in horror. That was a mistake. You can still smell it on me. It's complicated. It's okay. The library stairs twist down to history. And back up again. I ripped out a page from Warhol with blue flowers on. The buildings let you walk through them if you know the route. It's okay. It's okay. I can walk to the cinema in snow and back on my own. It's okay. I don't know who sent those boys to the student bar in Newcastle or why they kicked me to the ground. Some bleak son of an angry man from an island on the west, no doubt. Revenge for my deserting Irish genes. Or for not quite knowing who I was back then. I go back to myself and lean my head onto my head to tell her about love. Great. And what I really enjoy about your writing is that I can never 
every line is a surprise and then doesn't <laughs> you think where did that come from and yet it's 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 uh, it's part of a coherent whole so I, yeah really and i noticed that when you i uh, really enjoyed it when you're reading in meanwood up at the terminus bar fantastic so let's let's have a you've got a piece of music um the first one Let, tell us what it is then it is uh by dolly parton why'd you come in here looking like that brilliant and why have you chosen that one then um, it's actually just linked to what you just said, Peter, about um, ways of ways of speaking and, and whether things, whether kind of language makes sense, you know, or, or how we, um, what the expectations are around language and about writing and about and about songwriting too. And I think, um, so I adore Dolly Parton. I think there's nothing she's written that I don't love. And, and why'd you come in here looking like that is... Uh, I just think brilliant because that op- it, that is the opening line of the song, and I think you know you've got to go in, you've got to go in punchy, and you've got to make a statement. I think she does, and I think it's a really funny song as well. Why'd you come in here looking like that in your cowboy boots and your painted on jeans, all decked out like a cowboy's dream? Why'd you come in here looking like that? Here comes my baby. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM and we're talking to Pamela Crow, the writer and the artist. And she's, yeah, that Dolly Parton track is something she chose. And uh, Pamela, I have to say that I, a friend of mine once went to the Dolly Parton theme park oh. in, uh, <laughs> in the US of A. And so I've still got a, a Dolly Parton frisbee. 
Oh, Peter. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost for words. And... <laughs> I'm, I'm quite envious. Yeah, well, you can, I'll blend it to you sometimes. Thank you. As long as don't lose it in Meanwood Park. <laughs> it's a good reason to come back. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. It's, it's black and very shiny with golden writing on it. Actually. Wow. And it's, it's, very, it's very heavy as a Frisbee. So if you, you have to be careful. It's a real proper proper heavyweight Frisbee. So it? you could cause damage with you it. You could indeed. I think that's what Dolly would want, though, I don't think, you? I think that probably is. Maybe she was, she was uh, consulted <laughs> on, the, on the design of this Frisbee. It has to be black and hard and heavy. Great. So, um, yeah, tell us about this new collection you've coming out. Then of, uh, you've got coming out of poetry. Ah, thank you. Yes. So, I um, uh, have a poetry pamphlet coming out. It's coming out next year with the publisher, the Emma Press, um, who specialise in um, poetry and pamphlets and translations. Actually, Emma Wright that runs it is um, a really a really great publisher and a and um, a really fantastic person to work with. So I'm I'm really delighted that Emma is publishing my book because uh, I had my manuscript ready and and the Emma Press was the place that I was was where I wanted you know I was the home for my words. I felt very strongly that I'd um, bought a number of pamphlets and and was kind of used to the kind of uh, uh, writers that Emma. Uh, supported and I and I felt I felt like my words belonged with her so um when I got the email saying that she was going to publish the work I did lie on the floor for about three hours and kind of um lost it slightly with joy and relief you know yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You actually in the terminus bar you did say you sobbed for two hours so you I maybe did. you're you're, you're uh... Uh, I did <laughs> I did I cried you can say, tell us how it is yeah yeah I cried I yeah. cried with joy and relief because I I you know it's really interesting isn't it like the idea of like am I a writer am I an artist does any of it really matter and what I can tell you really really from the heart is that um to know that there will be a book that exists with my name on with my writing in is probably you know for me the highest achievement and something that I never thought would would happen and it matters to me so much, and it still I still feel emotional thinking about it. So that's interesting. So it does matter to you that there is, although you talked about the gatekeepers and so on, you have to do it anyway, regardless. Mm. But it still does matter, doesn't it? It it does, you know. And actually, something I was speaking to Joe Williams about, you know, that night we did the poetry reading. Um, I'm really aware of the well, I don't know, not hypocrisy. I I think that's maybe too strong a word. But the negotiation or the navigation of that threshold really between, you know what, I don't need permission. On the other hand, there are structures and mechanisms. And when you are validated or recognised, it means the world, doesn't it? You know, um, I, I, it's something that I, I don't have an answer to. Um, I definitely have huge respect for the Emma Press because I think they have a very, um, very, transparent and clear and kind of open process of of trying to encourage and invite and support new authors and I think I mean my goodness there are some incredible small presses out there and indie publishing you know I take my heart off to all of them and um you know I think um because it's a, it's a huge endeavor and it's it's really hard work and um like broken sleep books they're amazing there's just so many you know um so I think I, I like the idea that publishing is kind of moving in the right direction and there's a bit more freedom around it. 
it's something I was discussing with Broken Sleep recently. I wanted to send them some work for an anthology, but I, I, I said, you know, I hope this is okay, but this is some work that's already been accepted for publication. I don't really like propriety rules around publishing. I don't, if, if I'm applying to somewhere and it says no simultaneous submissions, I, I, don't, I don't participate. Or, Peter, I do participate and I tell them that I have submitted simultaneously and then I let them decide what to do yeah, about yeah, that. Because sure. I think, you know what, look at my work and then make a decision. And, and I, think, I think like all these things, and that's why it was great to meet you recently, um, every interaction matters, doesn't it? You know, and it's when we um, share our love for kind of whatever art we're making that I think these kind of relationships develop. Mm. And that's how you get work made or visible is through the people essentially you meet with. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and what you say about uh, publishing, absolutely agree with. And I, I, I'm going to say this now, which is a bit of a plug for what something we're doing here, which is we've got a local writer's library called the Helen Burke uh, Writer's Library, um, calling Burke's Books. Do you know Helen? She no. was a writer in York who she died. She died after a very long illness, but she was, she was uh, very much part of this building and she often came here and she was a very inspiring person. So we're naming our library after her. But Amazing. Yeah, she's great. But also um, we're going to have a sort of four-monthly maybe two or three times a year, a publisher's residency where a local publisher can have a stand of books in the cafe there, in the library, and uh, do some events related to what they're doing. It's really to publicise the work of, of, of small local publishers. I mean, not so yeah. small in some cases. The first is Peapultry yeah. Press, and, I mean, they're doing um, amazing things, uh, yes, you know, nationally, indeed. internationally. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, if you are a local publisher listening to this... Um, well, not even local, when I say local, you know... I don't know, but I'm not sure what that means, really. But you know, if you're you, you want a space with us, then it's uh, it's it's an opportunity to get some work. That sounds that. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, I saw the library out there, and it's lovely. There's lots of books I recognise, and authors' names I recognised. Uh, and yours will be there too. It will. I, and I will it... be bringing it down. <laughs> what, what will it be called? It is called the Bell Tower. Yeah. And when will it be out? It's out next summer. But I'm hoping I've I've finished a second manuscript, so I'm hoping that around the same time, um, my first and second collections will come out. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Bring them out on the same day. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to work out the title of the second one. And the second one is with Broken Prayer. No, Broken it's not with anyone yet. Ah, it's not with anyone yet. I'm just very confident it will be. Okay, so, <laughs> so publishers, if you are listening at this moment, no, I'm great. sending it off places. So I'm yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah. Where are the Emma Press based? Actually? In Birmingham. Yeah. yeah. Okay, not so local. Mm. Broken Sleep. Wales, I believe. Uh, that's local. But anyway. But everyone's yeah. online these days. Oh, yeah, what does it matter? Does it matter? And, and, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and, um, yeah, I mean, do you, do you, you, are you doing lots of gigs around? I mean, do you, you must enjoy performing then. I absolutely love performing. I do a lot of stuff online. I'll just kind of prop up my phone at home and, you know, record stuff. I think um, back to that idea of kind of, you know, uh, what equipment or whatever does anyone need to make something? I think, well, I'm just going to use what I've got. Um, so, and I, I love Instagram so much. Instagram is a is a community for me. I think it's um, a really important part of kind of the visual art kind of ecology, and particularly you know within within the city, talking about kind of local things. You know, 
um, I think it's a place for for kind of support and connection. So I'm on there. I don't really do Instagram. Do people do, do poets do that? It well, Can't traditionally it, yeah. less so. But I I I'm occupying that space as as a as a writer. I think people clearly do read. You know, you think well, a visually striking photograph. Yeah, it's going to draw someone in. Actually, if I'm posting a you know, JPEG of a poem, are they going to kind of zoom in and look at it? People do. They do because they give me feedback. And so it's become a really amazing place where I feel um, that I can test stuff. And, you know, and it's a bit scary, isn't it? But um, back to that kind of idea of of proprietorship and kind of who owns the words. And if you send it off somewhere, can you send it somewhere else? All my work goes on Instagram first, you know. And, and I think... Um, you know, a, a kind of progressive publisher would appreciate mm. the value in that, you yeah. know, that, that that if I'm building an audience for my work, that when those books come out, books, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I've got support. You know, there's people that might want to buy them. Um, I've gone off on a tangent, haven't I? No, not at all. I, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, are you somebody who... Having put something on Instagram, then checks how many people have. have yeah, it. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not obsessive about it, obviously. No, because it because you're not in control of it, are you? You know, everyone talks about algorithms, but you're not in control. And it and it rather it's like if you feed it, it feeds you. So you're aware that you're in some horror, you've sold your soul, kind of anyway. So it's not worth getting too intense about it. But I uh, then. Uh, but then performing live is really important and a very obviously a very different experience and a slightly more scary one. I mean, you're really adept at that, aren't you? You've got a lot of experience. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I do. I do. I well, I do. But if I had to do it every night, I wouldn't. Okay. I like it occasionally, but I, no, I, would, I think I, 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 I get bored quite easily with doing the same thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well. But yeah, but no, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it, and I'm uh, so. Yeah, but, do you but, yeah. do you watch yourself back? I just wondered because no. I was I was at something recently on open mic and I didn't realise they were filming it, and then it was on YouTube and I thought, well, hang on, um, I didn't realise that. And that's just my naivety, and then I made myself watch it. Um, what do you think? I was it was okay actually. Yeah, I was like, no, that's fine. It was at the time I felt this is awful. This has gone really badly, and I watched it back and I thought, no, it didn't. So. Well, I, I don't do that because every time I do watch myself back, I think, you blink a lot, Peter. Why are you <laughs> blinking so much? And I think I probably do it when I'm talking and I don't know. And okay. it's like one of those sort of ticks. And I think, why are you doing that? And so I don't do it because I don't think I'll ever stop blinking when I'm talking or reading. And okay. so there's no point in, in trying to correct it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't actually look. This is a confession. I don't really listen back to any of these programs either. Oh, no, well, but, you know, it's kind of some so. people go over everything they do and sort mm. of listen. And, and you know, but I mean, I'll, 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 I'll be very obsessive about a poem and I'll, you know, in terms of yeah. rewriting yeah. in terms of this. Anyway talking too much about myself you draw me out and that's supposed to be into you, you. <laughs> it's never happened before uh, read us something more before okay. i get embarrassed <laughs> um okay i'm gonna read overpriced custard tart which um is a poem i've written quite recently something i shared on facebook and on instagram and i think i think might be the title of my second collection uh, yeah, it's a bit of a departure from the bell tower. Right, overpriced custard tart. It was Suffolk, a bakery, very nice cakes, and the girl serving me narrows her gaze. Excuse me, I can actually see your bra right now? Oh, I said with faux sang 
perusing a sausage roll. It's just that I can see it, she said, her eyes scone cold. All walls zoomed out at this and I became widescreen, like Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids in the jewellery shop scene. I stole a glance to my clavicle, regretting it as I did, checking my beautiful shiny shoulder to see if it was legit, which having dressed myself that day it was. It's okay, I said. It's supposed to look like that. I loved my Topshop bralette dearly, and the kids were in it shot. So I drew in a short crisp breath, cooled rack and persevered. Stage directions, ficelle, meringue, croissant, mi-feuille, lime curd. Four pastel de natta, please, I said with a taut stare. I just thought you'd want to know, she replied. I can see your bra. Fuck you, I whispered under my breath, feeling my courage deplete. You don't get this treatment in Greg's, I thought. They just bag it and bin the receipt. So I summoned the bottle I'd kept in reserve and with all of my raspberry heart, I cancelled the order for pasta donata and ordered a large custard tart. Lovely stuff. Yeah, Thank and it's you. uh, you're very... Yeah, occasionally you think, oh, we're, we're, we're going to this da-da-da thing and then you break that and it's kind of... Yeah, I love the way you sort of... And then you... Is that a rhyme? It's going to rhyme? No, it's not going to rhyme. And you, you, again, it's sort of... I, I, there are lots of surprises. And then Thank you. Uh, which, I'm, I'm interested in rhyming because I think... Um, I read the phrase ghost rhymes the other day. Um, so the, the idea that... Um, you know, when you teach... I'm sure you've done workshops and poetry and, you know, and, and, and the way that kind of poetry is taught in schools very well by many very wonderful poets, particularly locally. But the rhyming thing is something that we, you know, from an early age associate with poetry. And I have a, a few close friends that make digs at me that I don't rhyme. <laughs> and, but I think, um, I think the sounds in a poem can rhyme is what I'm trying to say. And I think that you can have a sense of a rhyme. Uh, a word halfway through a sentence can link back to something. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, two yeah. pages ago, and I just think there's an auditory kind of beauty in in poetry, which um, just uh, if you spend time with a text or listening to a someone read, you you pick up on. Absolutely, internal rhymes. Whereas I'm not very good on the sort of technical aspects of poetry. I prefer just to. I encourage people to get stuff down. I agree. But, um, you know, yeah. if it rhymes, it rhymes, or if it doesn't, it doesn't. But, yeah, and if it half rhymes or ghost rhymes, yeah, I, I, I'm really... The main thing is to do it. I agree. But, yeah. So um, it's kind of getting to the to the end of time, but well, not to the end of time. But the end of this, interview. <laughs> this time, <laughs> this time. But uh, yeah, if you if you if you could read one more for us, Pamela, and and then remind us again about where we can find your work, both the you know the art, as it were, the visual art, and also the poetry. Yeah. But first thank of all, you. yeah, read us another one. So I'll read um, part four in the series, 150 words as I wait for a tree to grow back. And um, its uh, subtitle is Mercy, and it's about the man at the back again. Man at the back has stopped catching my eye, and now I'm in a terrible despair, where each morning I stand pressed up at the glass, trying hard to make him swivel in his ergonomic chair. Man at the back keeps his head fixed at the screen and won't so much look sideways to acknowledge me. Well done, man. And probably has decided I'm not dazzling after all or I'm too old, or too angry, or too ugly, or too tall. Man at the back might just like the sight of me, however, doing stretches, multitasking, hanging laundry in all weather, as I limber up and wobble, trying to proprioceptive this world, 
wondering who can want this tyrant, come heretic, come sad girl. Man at the back comes down one day to monitor the fence, which has withstood a pandemic and my year as malcontent. As my eye contact holds payload for the trees ripped from my land, I say to him, plant saplings now. He takes one from my hand. Yeah, lovely. Thank yeah, you. I enjoyed that very much. And so this man next the man at the back, will he ever know about these poems? Well, this this is a concern and this is something I'm talking about with my publisher because <laughs> some of the other work has uh, people's names in. I'm going to have to yeah. swap. Man at the back, you get away with that. He's fine. And also, I mean, wouldn't you be happy about that Peter if someone was writing about you? I think I would. Yeah, I think it'd be, you know. Yeah, it's compliment. more about you than him, I think I would say. Yes. Yes, it is about me. <laughs> Sorry. As writers, that's what we're doing, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, Essentially, yeah, everything yeah, is a mirror held, yeah. I think. Absolutely. Mm. Do you think he looks like the sort of person in your <laughs> sort of fantasy <laughs> projection of him who would appreciate poetry? Or, um, or enjoy it? Well, I've it's, just. It's hard to tell, isn't it? It's who, really hard. Does, to, it's really hard to tell, and we make terrible presumptions yeah, about we people, do, don't we? Yeah, I had yeah. this during, you know, the last year and a half with a guy who next door who's now moved on, and I, you know, I couldn't bear him for a year, and then it turns out he was a really kind person and you, you have got this what sorry a du- dueling do you say sorry uh, no I don't know what I said uh, you had, you had a, a neighbour next door you said yeah, yeah. he um, he was renting the house next door and okay. and he'd been there for a couple of years and we barely spoke and then yeah. during lockdown you know working from home we, we started chatting and he turned out to be a really decent guy yeah so yeah so who knows what man at the back is or who he is I shall never know <laughs> Or you might. <laughs> anyway, thanks ever so much, Pamela. And where, where do we find your work again? Um, so I have a website, PamelaCrow.com. I'm on Instagram, and that's Crow underscore Pamela. Um, yeah, those are the two the two main places. Brilliant. And I have a book coming out with the Emma Press. Look up, look up the Emma Press. The Emma Press is a really amazing publisher. I've heard yeah. of them, but I will definitely book up the M Press and I will you might have converted me to Instagram you never know mm-hmm. I'll check back uh, I might <laughs> my debut fairly soon on Instagram we'll see but anyway you've got one more track so tell us about that other piece of music oh yes so it's by Khalees and it's Lil Star okay and why it's because I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music and lyrics I've ever heard and every time I hear it I think why isn't this a song that I hear daily on the radio? Um, and I think it's, um, I, I imagine there's there's many, you know, millions of people out there that, that love it as much as I do and that just play it in their personal collections. And I, I just love it. I love it. I think it succeeds um, on every level. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. A Surprise by Melissa Weedart Phillips Fabian grumbled as Lawrence tried to wake him up, pulling the covers over his head in protest. You're going to be late for work, Lawrence said, his now so familiar English accent reaching Fabian through the duvet. The banner, the banner, I'm getting up, Fabian said. He quickly got dressed and joined Lawrence in the main room of their small flat, helping himself to an espresso, his customary breakfast. I'm working late tonight at the restaurant, Lawrence said, glancing up from his phone, a slight frown forming. My mother won't stop texting. She feels so badly they won't be coming out here for my birthday. But I've already told her it's stupid to come here and then come back for Christmas in a couple of months. Fabian nodded feeling a little apprehensive about the impending meeting with his boyfriend's parents. They'd been together for over six months now, but since Lawrence was from England, Fabian had not met any of his family yet. Lawrence had only intended to be here in Italy for a short time as part of his university studies, but it had quickly become apparent that he was going to stay after they had met. Fabian could still not quite believe his luck, but somehow they had found each other. I've got to go, Lawrence said apologetically in Italian, standing up and straightening his waiter's uniform, then running a hand absent-mindedly through his mop of dark blonde hair. Fabian stood quickly, reaching for Lawrence, pulling him in, finding his lips. Everything about Lawrence still held his attention. There seemed to be something new to learn and love every day. Fabian held him tight, not wanting to let him go feeling Lawrence's echoed reluctance to leave. Fabian, I've got to go, Lawrence said a moment later, pulling back, the yearning to stay showing in his bright blue eyes. I will see you tonight, Fabian called as Lawrence left, pausing only a moment to grab his things and descending the many flights of stairs from their flat to the busy street below. Fabian stood for a moment, glancing at his pocket watch, trying to decide if he had time to see their friend Angela before he needed to be at work, but concluded he'd have to meet her on his break. He spent much of his time between customers at the bookshop, trying to work out what theme to have for Lawrence's surprise party. It was only a week away now, and he wanted it to be special. It had to be after the way they'd met. He thought about his life before their meeting at the villa, the party which had brought them together across time. Lawrence from the present, he, Fabian, from 1922. Lawrence hardly able to speak Italian, and himself with no English at all, but somehow they'd still understood each other that first time they met. It had felt an age to Fabian when he had returned to his own time, wondering if Lawrence had felt their connection too. Of course, at first, he had not believed Lawrence was from the future, when they had been able to meet again. How could he be? But somehow, through the magic of the villa, he'd been taken from his own time, when black shirts walked the streets and he lived in secret, fearing for his life, to the present where he could be with the man he loved. Fabian gasped, 
suddenly knowing what the party theme had to be. He could recreate that first night. The music, the cocktails, the 1920s clothes, everything. On his break, he practically fell into the estate agency office where Angela worked. She looked up in surprise. I know what the theme needs to be, he said in rapid Italian. She glared at him for a moment, then finished talking to a customer. Angela was efficient and organised, which was why Fabian had enlisted her help for the party. Well, Richie, she asked. It was their thing to use each other's surnames. 1920s. Perché? she asked, looking surprised. Lawrence will get it, he assured her, not able to elaborate, as no one knew he was from a different time, not even their best friends. Okay, Angela said with a shrug. I'll ring Sophia and let her know what we're doing with the bar. But we don't have much time to get everything. Grazie, grazie, piccolo Bruno, he said, bowing to her as she switched to English for the new customer who had just come in. He left the office, knowing the party would be in good hands. Angela had impeccable style. He was also really grateful Sophia, her girlfriend, had got him a discounted rate for renting the bar since she worked there. He knew Lawrence would not want him to spend so much, but he was used to extravagant parties and still had a little money left from his past. The week sped by, and Fabian found himself putting on a suit as it began to get dark on the evening of Lawrence's birthday, ready to take him out. Lawrence thought they were going to the restaurant where he worked, but Fabian had dropped in and explained the situation to them when Lawrence wasn't working. We're still a little early. We could go for a drink at Sophia's bar first, Fabian suggested, as he pulled his suit jacket on, trying to keep his tone casual. That's not a bad idea, Lawrence said, straightening his tie. Fabian had given it to him that morning, but Lawrence's main present he was saving for later. Lawrence turned, adding, I still need to recover from our drive. I got us there in one piece, Fabian protested. He knew it was not so much his driving Lawrence objected to, but rather the vintage car he had found, very similar to the one he'd driven in his own time. But Lawrence would insist on clinging to his seat every time they went anywhere, as if he thought the car was about to fall apart around them. A ridiculous notion, Fabian thought. Ready? he asked. Yes, Lawrence answered, pausing for a moment, looking Fabian up and down. Is that your old suit? See. Fabian said. What if Lawrence was on to him? I just felt nostalgic. I like it, Lawrence said, reaching for Fabian's hand and pulling him close for a moment, kissing him. And Fabian relaxed, reassured Lawrence suspected nothing. They wandered through the streets of Florence, now quieter than the summer months, with far fewer tourists out on the town. Fabian was frustrated, though, as he had wanted to keep hold of Lawrence's hand as they had left their home, but they knew it was safer if they walked little distance apart, especially at night. It felt like some things never changed. As the bar came into view, he saw it was lit up, and a hum of voices reached them, nothing appearing out of the ordinary from the outside. Fabian drew back, gesturing for Lawrence to go first. Lawrence smiled, thinking it was just Fabian's manners and pushed the door open. Happy birthday, Lawrence! A chorus of voices greeted them. What? he exclaimed, laughing in surprise as he took it all in. 
Earlier that day, they had transformed the bar as best they could. Rich fabrics were now draped over surfaces, electric candles softly lighting the space, jazz playing quietly in the background. Sophia had even managed to make a champagne fountain at the end of the bar. Their friends stood facing them, all beaming, Angela and Sophia at the front. Lawrence turned, and Fabian saw his eyes were wide and joyful. Grazie, grazie, cuore mio, Lawrence said, pulling Fabian inside and kissing him as the door closed behind them. Er perfetto. I'm glad, Fabian said in Italian, looking into Lawrence's eyes for a moment, before their friends joined them. Yes, Richie was cutting it close with picking the theme, Angela said with a smile. But we still don't know why he chose it, Sophia added, her Greek accent still just perceptible through her Italian, while she unconsciously leant against Angela. We met at a party like this, Lawrence said, glancing sideways at Fabian for a moment. You go to some strange places, Angela said, shaking her head. You have no idea, Lawrence said with a laugh. Fabian shared a secret smile with him. They put on some dance music for a while, and drinks were plentiful. Then later they had cake, and people gave Lawrence presents. Fabian waited until last, then handed Lawrence the square-shaped present he had left here earlier, and watched with satisfaction as Lawrence tore the paper off to find a framed painting of the Rialto Bridge in Venice. The city was the setting for one of Lawrence's favourite books, Fabian knew. It's beautiful. I love the palette, Lawrence whispered, examining the soft blues and purples. I was thinking it'd be nice to take a trip there after Christmas, Angela said, as the rest of the people around them began to drift back to the dance floor. Perhaps the four of us could go together, Sophia suggested. I'd like that. Lawrence agreed. He glanced towards the door. How come people are not coming in? I put a private party sign outside, Sophia answered. I kept watch for you two, and quickly dashed back and moved it as you arrived. Clever. It had to be a surprise, Fabian said, wrapping his arm around Lawrence's shoulder. Well, you all did an excellent job. I had no idea. I have another surprise for you upstairs, Fabian said, taking Lawrence's hand instead. Another? Fabian just smiled and left Angela and Sophia to dance, pulling Lawrence through the crowd and up the stairs to what was usually the bar's private office. Inside were more soft furnishings and flickering faux candles, but he'd also set up two chairs facing the large back wall. He heard Lawrence gasp as he saw what was on it. Fabian had found a large poster of the Italian countryside, olive trees and fields stretching away before them, now dim in the candlelight. It was the closest view he could find to the one from the villa's balcony, where they had fallen asleep together that first night at the party, while waiting for the sunrise. He drew Lawrence forward to sit in one of the chairs, and handed him a cocktail, sitting beside him. Mint julep? Lawrence said, sniffing it. Yes, I remember you telling me how you had tried one, Fabian said with a laugh. Still not my favourite drink, Lawrence said, with a smile after taking a sip. But it does help bring the night back. There was a pause. Was it good today? Fabian asked, wondering how Lawrence was the only person in the world who could make him nervous. There had been no one in 1922, and nearly a hundred years later, there was only one. Of course, 
It was more than good today, Lawrence said, turning sideways to face him and taking Fabian's hand. It was truly the best birthday ever. I have you, my Principe Azzurro, with me for the first time. The first of many, Fabian answered and leaned over to kiss him. When Lawrence thanked Fabian, he called him Cuore Mio, my heart, and Principe Azzurro is the Italian equivalent to Prince Charming. Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. I'm not the way you are.